G'day you mob, how's it going? Welcome to this episode of Aussie English, the number one place for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. I'm your host Pete and this is another episode of the Aussie English podcast. This is an interview episode where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing none other than Lucy Earle. I wonder if that name is familiar to you. It should be because she is from one of the largest English channels on YouTube, English with Lucy. Now, I only really got to know Lucy recently and we were having a bit of a chat and I was trying to think, you know, what what could I interview you about, Lucy, on, on the podcast? And I sort of wanted to just have a, an informal convo, an, an informal conversation about what it's like going from, you know, English teacher to blowing up online and suddenly having something like 5 million followers and how you kind of juggle that, right? Like, this is the closest that English teachers like Lucy and content creators like myself will ever come to becoming, you know, quote unquote famous. So, how do you deal with that? You know, when suddenly you're producing content that is going out to millions and millions of people online. There was also a bit of controversy recently with one of Lucy's videos, and I wanted to talk about the impressive way that I found that she handled that situation and what it's like when you have all eyes on you in that kind of situation. Anyway, I'm rabbiting on a bit. This is a very informal and friendly chat with Lucy Earle from English with Lucy. With with no further ado, guys, let's just get into it. Smack the bird, and I'll see you in there. So, I am here with Lucy from Lucy with English. Welcome to the Aussie English podcast. So, is it because you're from Australia that you said my channel name backwards? Is it English with Lucy or Lucy with English? (laughs) 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 All right. All right. Let's (laughs) screw it. We'll keep it in there. It's the other way around in Australia. (laughs) I love it. Lucy with English. Yeah, that's it. So, you get to do a bit of English, but you have Lucy with the English. So, it's all about me, yeah, basically. Yeah, far out. So, that was a good intro, but um, <laughs> we'll keep it in there. No shame. I wanted to get you on. I was dying to get you on because ever since I've started in this career, um, I've known about you. Oh, well, I mean, you know, I guess I, I don't no, see it as a career. It's, it's too fun, right? I know. My parents and my in-laws don't see it as a career either, which I think worries them, but I laugh about it. So so that can be my first question. How do you introduce yourself to people you just meet when they ask, you know, when when you get past the names and everything and they say inevitably, what do you do, Lucy? You know, um, what is your standard answer? I went through various stages when it was new and exciting. I used to tell people, check me out on YouTube, I need every subscriber I can get. But now I, I say, I'm a teacher because yep. I am. Um, and then sometimes they'll, you, you can always tell when somebody already knows what you do, but what <laughs> you because <say> <laughs> then they ask all the right questions, pretending that they have no idea what you do or what you're about. And then they ask very specific questions. Um, I just say I'm a teacher and if they ask, you know, normally the next question is what age group? And I say, well, any really preferably. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and yeah, I will, it depends on the person as well. Um, but it's hard because definitely in the UK, you never want to be seen as showing off. Yes. Um, I think talking about numbers and being on YouTube, I think that could be seen as showing off. I wonder if it's the same in, in Oz. 
Well, that's, I was just thinking as soon as you said that, I'm like, I wonder if we get that from you guys because we have that um, tall poppy syndrome sort of thing where anyone who's like, oh, I'm so good, I'm this, I'm that, we're kind of like, cut that down, like get back down to normal. And to the point though, and I, I, this would be interesting to talk about, I think Australia still has classes, but they're much kind of pushed together. So our prime minister, for example, if I met him in the street, would probably say, G'day, mate, how's it going? But I can't imagine Boris Johnson, you know, uh, walking up to you and being like, you know, G'day, innit? Like, or, you know, whatever, however the informal <laughs> introduction He'd would say, be. Good morning, old chap, or something like that. He's incredibly posh because I think he went to Eton, which is one of the, it seems to be the boys' school that all prime ministers and politicians used to come from. Now things are changing slightly, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's definitely a huge divide in the UK, and there's there seems to be various tiers. It's always separated into upper, upper, middle, and working. I'm not an expert in this, so. But you still do you find across all those classes that a lot of people are still trying to avoid being seen as the kind of show off, uh, check me out kind of person, or do you find that it's related to sort of the middle class or? So. My fiance William went to a very posh university called Sirencester in the Cotswolds, which is a really nice area, a very green area of the UK. And it was an agricultural university. So most farmers' sons will go there for three years to, in quotations, study agriculture, <laughs> when really it's just to get them out of the house for three years. They have their three years and then they come back to the farm. Um, but there are also a lot of very well to do people that go there. And they're lovely people, but it is funny because when I meet them and we, we go to events together sometimes, um, there was one particular particular event called Ascot. It's a racing, um, a horse racing event. Oh, God. And all the men have to wear top hats. And I kid you <laughs> not, ranking was decided on how tall people's top hat was. So, like, if mm-hmm. someone had a lot of money... <laughs> their top hat was higher than everyone else's and I've never never experienced anything like it it's kind of like a handicap right where you kind of like you deal with this for the rest of the night (laughs) it's it was very very bizarre so yes there are people that want to show off in certain ways they wouldn't say I have loads of money but my hat is an inch taller than everyone else's yeah I can't imagine it's 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 funny we still have those kinds of people in Australia but I think by and large people we have this culture of wanting to seem like we're like everyone else. We have mm-hmm. a fear of anyone putting us outside the group. And so there's mm-hmm. that kind of, there's constantly this push to be like, I'm normal, I'm normal, please don't treat me differently. I find myself doing that as well. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I'd love to complain about office life with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, went to the water cooler the other day. Um, but no, it's a... Uh, it's an innate thing. I, I feel that you just want to fit in. I mean, it goes back to when we were cavemen, I guess. You didn't want to be uh, kicked out and left out of the, the meal or something. Is there, is there a lot of sort of different groups within Great Britain like that? Because I know you guys have so many different dialects and, and, and different accents based on region. And yet it's such a small country compared to, to Australia, the way that we would see it. And yet in, in Australia, we have like bugger all variation in terms of accent. Um, so do you still notice like you'll go to say the next town over 
and they have a completely different accent and you're like, oh my God, they're going to know instantly I'm the outsider. See, I don't notice it that much. But then again, I don't really travel that much within, within the UK. And also, I've, people seem to migrate, people seem to kind of move around so much yeah. that sometimes it's not as obvious. You do, I did notice it in London. Um, you just get such a, a load of different accents. But then it was funny. People do seem to move to London, adapt to kind of a London accent, and then they'll go back home and, and speak uh, their home accent. Um, but I, th- I think that's a natural thing as well. I definitely find myself adapting um, to the people I'm with. Sometimes when I was teaching in Spain, I would almost start speaking like a Spanish person speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> Just little things, like instead of putting a z at the end of words, I would say s, like verbs, instead of verbs, uh, or like that. And um, I, I picked up on it because I was very interested in pronunciation. I thought, how strange is that? that? In order to fit in with my Spanish friends speaking in English, I am adapting to them. <laughs> it's so weird. Well, I think we're constantly trying to do that, right? We always want to be in the group and not seen as the outsider. They've done studies, I think, where they had like, you know, the, the study subject come into the psychological study and they'd get everyone else in the class, they'd ask them which one of these lines is longest and everyone would say the wrong one and the person who was the test subject would go in and be like, yeah, it's, it's the wrong one as well, even though it's clearly yes. obvious which one is, is short and which one is long because they don't want to be seen as the idiot. So they're like, well, what if everyone else has said it's that one. You must have felt so confused. Like, have I gone mental? Well, they found, though, that it's like, you know, 80% of people end up doing that because they want to be in the in-group. But wow. Yeah, it must be pe- peculiar because I, I wonder, too, do you know much about how these regional dialects are maintained in Great Britain, especially today with social media, with so much TV, and, and I assume people moving around and going to other towns how do those accents still maintain themselves into adulthood? Because you would imagine people would just sort of verge on the same dialect eventually. There's definitely a local and newbie divide. Um, and a lot of people are very proud of, of being born and bred in a certain area. Gotcha. And so I used to live in a village and it's a very small village. It was absolutely lovely. But the people who were born and bred in this village had their own Facebook group. You could only be in it if you were born and bred in this particular village. I felt so upset because they shared really cool photos of all the buildings, like the bakers and the butchers back in the day. But I couldn't see them because I wasn't allowed in the group because I wasn't born and bred. How do they know? Do you have to show a card or something when you try and join the group? Or? Well, they'll know. They'll know. If you're <laughs> That's a different yeah. surname. Yeah, definitely. A lot of them did have the same surnames as well. It, um, I think a lot of people are making a real effort to to keep certain traditions and yeah. accents alive as well. Um, you can look at that from all angles, whether it's right to exclude people or whether it's right to keep it al- alive. I just think it's uh, fascinating, I- one way or the other. It's just a, it's really insane because, I mean, Australia has that really interesting history of we had a lot of convicts that came over here from I think it was East London so a lot of them had the, those act that London accent the rhyming cockney slang the um we have a lot of slang words that come from flash language that the thieves used from London and but we also had Scottish we had Irish we had people from uh, I think my family was from Kent we had people from all over the place and so what happened was that you ended up with this sort of mixing pot of people at, in these very small areas like Sydney um, initially, and then the next generation 
ended up with this kind of like averaged accent and that's how the Australian accent was kind of born where it was sort of the, I guess, the rounding off of all these different accents and that's why we, we say things like bugger and, you know, um, bloody and a whole bunch of this slang that I always think, oh, yeah, it's Aussie slang. And then you're like, yeah, the Brits say that too. But then you guys have all this other stuff we don't use and we'll just be like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, how much British TV um, shows Lots. and films reach you? Yeah. I think it's sort of, we have that weird relationship, right? I take it if I say home and away and neighbours, you're going to know what those are. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, what was one of the ones we used to watch? There was the police show in the countryside in Great Britain. Oh. Heartbeat. Heartbeat? Yeah, we used to watch that. There's a whole heap of, of British shows, Game of Thrones. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, because I feel now that we are becoming so much more blended because we watch so many American films and TV yeah. shows. And actually a really interesting thing that I always tell Americans when they say, oh, I love your accent. And I, I just tell them, I used to idolise the American accent. When I was a child, all of the TV shows and cartoons were American. So when we used to play pretend um, in the English countryside, we all put on American accents to play pretend because yeah. we felt like we were in a TV show. And I remember it driving my mum mad when I come home <laughs> from school. Like, hi, mom! <laughs> <laughs> because it was a terrible little squeaky accent. Um, that I was putting on I hadn't quite mastered it uh, but but yeah it's just funny I don't think they ever realize that the impact that all their their shows have on people that are watching them I think they are uh, they're inside the house and the rest of us are looking in through the windows and they never look out outside to see all of us being like pressed up against the glass like what are they doing this week yeah what's on tv <laughs> it's true so did did you get many did you get much um, exposure to Australian content when you were growing up and and what was your sort of view of Australia because you know we're we're at the other end of the earth so was it a oh yeah they used to be part of the colony <laughs> I don't think I ever thought about colonies as a young, as a young child <laughs> but um, I used to watch the Pony Club I think oh yeah 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 I used to love that um, and. I remember thinking that that must be what Australia's like, just all countryside and horses. I thought it'd be a Most lovely of it. visit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we didn't watch too much. I remember seeing, um, I remember seeing reruns of Home and Away and Neighbours on the older ones were shown continuously on this channel and it all looked very old fashioned. So mm. I just presumed that Australia was just <laughs> 10 years behind us. <laughs> <laughs> we are in more ways than one, but yeah, that was it. They used to do that to us where we would see the first, they would have reruns that were from, you know, a decade ago before the actual most current um, episode of Neighbours or Home and Away. And so you would always have this like, oh, okay, we're in the 80s. There's Kylie Minogue with her, you know, really curly hair, even though you guys stole her later on, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but we do love her very much. So you got um, the world's best bum, I guess, technically <laughs> in Britain. Yeah, well, apart from... <laughs> In Britain, yeah, that I think it was always between her and J Lo. I remember when magazines were a thing. J Lo's bum and Kylie's bum. I wonder yeah. how they felt about all of that. It probably made them a lot of money. So. Well, I think that's it. I think you would be crying all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Just like sure. Yeah. 
So tell me about how has how has it been over in Britain at the moment, more recently, considering things with COVID? I mean, everyone's probably sick of talking about it, but have you been surviving living on a farm away from, from I don't know, it's almost like the walking dead, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so we're in lockdown again. Uh, I think it was on the uh, early November they put us in for another month. I think it ends on the 2nd of December, uh, which honestly, it was just so disappointing. It really, really was because all these businesses are just starting to get going again. Mm -hmm. And lots of them, especially the hospitality industry and beauticians as well. Lots of people who are either on lower wages or are self-employed have suddenly been told you have to stop again. And the issue is a lot of these people who are self-employed weren't kind of, they weren't able to get the government grants and the furlough scheme, which is our, 80% of your wages up to a certain amount payment scheme. So it was really hard to see just the the economy take this step back again. And more importantly, people's lives just being paused again, just before Christmas. When, when it was being announced, Will and I were just, we were just so down. Like dinner was silent that night. It was, it's really sad. (laughs) I feel really sad about it all. It's just, um, it's going to take so long to recover and for people to get back into their, their normal way of living and to be able to afford to live normally again as well. Well, it's, it's interesting. We, we've come out of three months of lockdown here in Victoria and interestingly enough, we kind of bounced back and I think they say like 75% of people who are looking for jobs got them in the end. So we've gotten that back and the economy hasn't tanked too badly. But it was interesting to see the effect that it had on mental health of people and that there were plenty of examples of say people living on their own where they couldn't see anyone for like literally months at a time. And so I did just have this kind of like, it's one of those things where you don't realize what you had until it's gone. I think when you get stuck at home, all of a sudden it's kind of like, man, I'm always at home. I love staying at home. Do you want to go out? No, I'll stay at home. But as soon as you have someone just say to you, you have to stay at home for three months. You're just like, no, no, I lived alone for a year. And I found it so hard. And that was just me living alone in a new city. Um, so I can't imagine if I'd been told to, well, I know that I would have moved back in with my parents. I just, I wouldn't have been able to, to stick that out on my own. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. Did you have a furlough scheme or some sort of payment scheme for people who physically couldn't go to work? Oh, so we've had, what have they called it? Yeah, we had like $1,500 a fortnight, I think. It's slipped my, slipped my mind, but um, I've forgotten what it was called. But yeah, our job keeper is what it was called. And so that, I think the government was the government was effectively paying the businesses to then use that money to pay the employees. And it was capped at $1,500 a fortnight or something to make sure that they could um, keep their jobs and everything. And then we had like job, job seeker. So if you were looking for a job, you also got a, um, a stipend or whatever you want to call it. So, but I think... There was sort of a controversy here where I think they were going to cut it by about 50% in September and then they they ended up not doing that because we were still in lockdown. But, yeah, it's been sort of our country's gone into a lot of debt, I think. So (laughs) it's going to be interesting to see how we we do um, in the next, I don't know how long it's going to take to recover from it, maybe three, four, five years. I saw a figure the other day saying it's going to take it to at least 2024 for us. I watched this really... Uh, sad (laughs) news article uh, news um, clip the other day about this one job position in Manchester and it was a Uh, minimum wage position in in a bar 
and they had over a thousand applicants yeah. and they were following the applicants going through the process and then when they came to the end when they were going to make the decision we got put down into lockdown again and the position <laughs> didn't exist and i was just i just thought 1000 people applied for this job and were disappointed it's um i can't yeah. imagine being the people showing you know or advertising that job too like how the hell are we going to fairly go through all of these people you know yeah. there was one in australia there was an example of that here too where someone was applying to be a dishwasher and there were 1600 applicants and he was just like, <laughs> like how would this ever happen but yeah fortunately once we came out of lockdown all the jobs obviously open everyone was desperate we had an issue here where the farms in Queensland that pick all the fruit were really worried because the fruit was going to fall off the tree and just land on the ground and there'd be no one to pick it because we rely in Australia on foreigners coming over on working holiday visas and doing those kinds of jobs that the other Aussies don't particularly want to do in the middle of... I had lots of friends that did that. Yeah, mangoes exactly. worst, I think, because it like, releases an acid that burns your hands. But you Which ones? Pain. Mangoes? Mangoes, apparently when you pick them really? off. Some sort of milk that gives you itchy skin. Far but out. You get more, so if you can itch your way to the bank, I guess, <laughs> fine. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I didn't realize how much they were sort of like in dire straits, really, really, really needing lots and lots and lots of, of workers to come out there. And I'm like, why aren't we just getting all of our high school students to go out there? You know, go do some um some real work in the real world and make some money whilst you're at it and help help the rest of the country. With, yeah. um, with Brexit, leaving yeah. the EU, well, the majority of the people who come over in the summer to pick fruit and to help out on farms are EU workers. Yeah. And um, now they might not be able to come, or probably won't be able to. So it's interesting because you see a lot of farmers voted for Brexit and yeah. now are, oh, <laughs> we didn't expect it to actually happen. <laughs> what were the ramifications of that in the immediate aftermath of um, Brexit? Did you did you feel a big sudden shift in quality of life or people having jobs or anything like that? Or was it really just to kind of like in the EU cross? We're not in the EU and that's the change that happened. Um, it was mainly the way it made people feel, I think. Yeah. Uh, especially people from the EU to suddenly have your life turned upside down and to be made to feel that you're not welcome by over half of a country. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a, a really awful thing for a, a lot of very incredible workers to feel. I mean, there are pros and cons to every situation, but I, I really, really felt for, for the people who were over here and then saw this. Because I remember I was teaching students at the time and they were all from Spain and Italy. And I remember them yeah. saying, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? And I said, don't worry. I said, not in a million years. <laughs> and the next day they came into class and I said, right, well, <laughs> I didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, but you never expect it, do you? Because often the most liberal voices shout the loudest on social media. Mm -hmm. So you have, especially if you're a young person, you use social media a lot. You I was 21 at the time. I, I remember, I think I was 20 or 21. I was just looking at Twitter and Facebook. So I thought, well, it's absolutely not going to happen because look how angry everyone is. Um, but then it's the silent majority that, that seemed to take over. In well, and the, the problem with social media, right, is that you end up in your echo chamber, whether that's by your own choosing or not. It'll yeah. keep showing you, oh, okay, these are all the things that Lucy agrees with and that she likes to see, so we'll show her more of it. And then you're left there thinking, well, this is what everyone thinks because it's all I ever see. Meanwhile, yeah. you, you have, you know, people on the right 
seeing exactly the opposite and both of you then pop your heads up and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Is, I think yeah. playing itself out in the US right now, right? Where you have literally 50% of the country are one extreme, 50% of the other extreme and they're both like, we hate the other side. And you're like, this is yeah. social media is such a big thing of, of having caused that divide. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting how it is always so, such an even divide nearly always as well it's um it's very in- i wonder if it's genetic <laughs> <laughs> be careful <laughs> ding 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 <laughs> all right all right we'll move we'll move on but um so y- you must have i believe i haven't really dived in and checked this but you must have the biggest youtube channel for teaching english how does that feel from from I when you- i don't think i do I think there are a lot of um, there are a handful of channels uh, that teach English in other languages like Urdu, Hindi, and uh, okay, okay, as well. There are some really successful channels as well. Um, but I think I think in the English speaking world, probably uh, it feels very strange. It doesn't feel real. Um, it certainly wasn't <laughs> anything I ever thought would happen. Um, uh, but I am very, I'm very. I don't know if I feel proud because I don't think it's always been a hundred percent in my hands either. Uh, I don't choose when a, a video does well or how many people click. I, I think it's very much down to the YouTube algorithm as well. I'm not trying to play down what I've achieved. I know I've worked hard at it, but I also think that anyone with a smaller channel that's thinking, hang on a sec, I'm making some great videos here. Why aren't I? It might be a, like a right place, right time, lots of luck thing as well, but just keep working at it um, and definitely speak to as many different people as you can. Um, yeah, but it must have been a crazy journey, right? I mean, that was yeah. what I was wanting to get at more about where you, I think from videos that I'd seen in the past, you were teaching English, obviously, in Spain, right? Mm. And then you ended up making a YouTube channel, which obviously would have started with zero subscribers. How quickly did, how quickly did you realise that, ooh, this could become, uh, you know, a profession. This could become my career. I'm going to go down this, this, this channel. And what was sort of going through your head at that moment? So it was an interesting journey. I did marketing at university. And whenever I say that, everyone's like, ah, that's, that's how you've done it, through marketing. But actually, the degree, I did it 2012 to 2016. And I always find that textbooks are a couple of years behind. So when we <laughs> did a one class on digital marketing, influencer marketing, YouTube, and it wasn't even mentioned. Here's what they Um, were doing in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. It was all um, case studies of, well, I think most of our case studies were from like the 80s and 90s of silly marketing mistakes. Very enjoyable Mm -hmm. to learn about, not necessarily something that I could apply, Uh, but I definitely did think it um, helped me develop the right mindset when it came to marketing. Um, and I was, I chose my particular university. I went to the University of Westminster in London to, um, because they had an Erasmus program. I'm not sure. Do you know what Erasmus is? I've met okay. enough Europeans to know what Erasmus is. Yes. Very <laughs> I'm very jealous of you guys. <laughs> uh, it's such an awesome scheme. I don't know what's going to happen to it now with, with Brexit. I really hope they find some way of of keeping it alive because it's... Do you, do you want to so explain important. what it is just quickly to, to my listeners? Yeah, important. Um, <laughs> it is basically a, a, a cultural exchange. Uh, so one, universities will have links between them throughout Europe 
and you can trade places uh, with another student, but you don't necessarily have to study their course. You can just yes. transfer your own university course for a semester or a year to another university. And you can choose to do it in that university language or normally there are English equivalents as well. Uh, so I chose to do a semester in Madrid. I studied the equivalent of my classes in Spanish, which was a challenge, I must say. I was fluent in Spanish at the time because I was with a Spanish partner for four years, um, but it's academic Spanish was different. Right? I, have, I have that problem with, I'm, I speak Portuguese at home, but the moment mm -hmm. I start talking about subjects that I'm not really aware of because we never talk about them at home, it's kind of like I went from, you know, advanced to beginner overnight and you're yeah. like, whoa. And presenting, that was... Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. It was very, it was a really good learning experience because maybe I was getting a little bit cocky with mm, my Spanish. Yeah, that's a quick way to be knocked back down, right? Yes, I was definitely knocked back down into learning again. Um, and then I stayed on, I was meant to stay on to do a placement year in Madrid in a marketing firm, but that marketing firm shut down. So I didn't know what to do with the rest of my year. I couldn't re-enroll in university. So I did a teaching qualification and it was never my plan to become a teacher but I just absolutely fell in love with it um, and thought I'm going to graduate, but I want to do something related to teaching English. And actually my idea was setting up a language school at first. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but quickly I realized I actually much prefer doing things online and, and making very specialized videos for a larger audience. Um, what was and, it about um, teaching though that, that really got you? I think it was the, it was the way I could immediately see a difference as well. And people had these questions their whole life and for them to have this kind of little epiphany, like, ah, oh, I've always wanted to know why EDs mm -hmm. are pronounced differently at the end of words. And now I know it was just really good. And to build confidence in people as well. It was lovely. And I was in, in Spain. I could have a, a joke with my students as well. I just, just adored it. It was one of the happiest years, one of the poorest years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> we worked out by the end I was earning two euros 30 an hour um, because my travel time wasn't included and it, I had to go all around the city, but I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy. Well, that's the trade-off, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Far yeah it, was a, it was a good year. And then I went back, did my final year of university and I just kind of had this idea in my head uh, because I was really bad at teaching grammar um, because Let's be honest, I did this TEFL qualification and then I was hired by the TEFL Academy to teach there and to start training the teachers. I think I know why. I thought at the time it was because I was an excellent teacher <laughs> after one month of training <laughs> and that they saw potential in me, but it was definitely because I was, you know, a native, very British looking British girl, I think. Um, but I think I'd, I'd like to think I proved myself over time. Um, but I very quickly realized that I was not in a position to train these students to pass exams um, because I was just thrown into a classroom, given a, an exam book and told, right, Teach they need to pass their C C1. But I had never studied this grammar before. I just thought it would, you know, it would, I would learn over time and get more training. Um, so I started studying grammar and then, um, I didn't find books as helpful as videos, so I started looking on YouTube, and then slowly I thought that there was a gap in the market um, for someone. I didn't see anyone that I really related with, 
And um, were there many were there many people doing it at that time, or was it a very um? Di- yeah. I imagine even only a few years ago, it was a very different realm, right? Yeah, I mean, there are so many amazing teachers now, and I I absolutely love that because there is you don't gel with every teacher you have. So for the fact that students have so much choice, I think is great. Back then, there wasn't so much choice, and there were a lot of people that were treating the camera as if it were a classroom. You know, as if they were just talking to their classroom instead of realizing that one-on-one personal connection you have. And I was watching people like Zoella at the time and vloggers and a lot of beauty gurus, actually. That was what I was liking at the time. I was discovering myself. And um, <laughs> They have huge channels. I had, I think I still yeah. see it every time I log into Aussie English on YouTube. They're, they give you that little thing below that says, here are some influencers that have recently subscribed to your channel and they rank them based on how many subscribers they have. And the, the, the woman at the top is a Brazilian woman who does makeup videos. And I've, oh. I, I have no idea. I guess she's interested yeah. in Australian English, but I remember seeing that and being like, wow. <laughs> huge market, huge yeah. market. Um, and I thought it would be cool if um, there was some kind of blend there. Um, and yeah, so I... I did my first half of the year just thinking about it, getting my ideas together. And then I spoke to my dad with my idea. Uh, and he said, look, if you want to do anything like this, because I said, I, I think, I think I could, you know, make this into a business. And initially the idea was to start a language school, but then it evolved. And so he told me to create a, um, a, I was gonna say a language plan, a business plan. And um, we worked out a 500 pound business loan that I had to pay back with interest. <laughs> And I bought a second-hand camera and a tripod, which I have only just upgraded <laughs> um, after five years. Um, but when I first bought this camera, I, um, I looked at it and I put it together and I just thought, something is not right. This doesn't look like Zoella's camera. And it was because I hadn't bought a lens. It was just the body. <laughs> it was the body. <laughs> I was there with my hair and makeup done. And uh, yeah, filming was postponed for a while. But yeah, um, yeah that was how it started. And then... You asked when I realized it would it could be something serious. Uh, I would well, say when I graduated. What was I the trajectory like, I guess? Yeah, to that point. Like it must have been yeah. obviously gradual. It was gradual. Um, the first six months, I kind of didn't really see it going anywhere too much. I think I got to around 40,000 subscribers or something over the first six months. And at that point, I was starting to bring in revenue. Yep. And... And in July, I remember it was my graduation and I was applying for grad graduate scheme jobs because my dream was to always work in marketing for, I, I wanted to work in some sort of beauty company at the time it was L'Oreal. I'm not sure if it'd be L'Oreal anymore, but that was always considered to be a tip top yeah. marketing scheme. If you could get into that, then you could you'd you made have good it. marketing. Yeah. Um, so I was applying to all of those. And then I spoke to my dad. And um, he's always been sort of a mentor for me throughout the years. And um, he's never given me anything. If he ever gives me anything, it always has to be paid back with interest like on principle and things like that. that that's very- how you know you've been raised right, I think. I remember asking <laughs> my parents when I first turned 18, can you help me buy a car? And they were like, get a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, I had to get a job from 14, 15 Uh, because I wanted this expensive pair of wellies. (laughs) Wellies, (laughs) Wellies, that's right. Yeah. What is it? Um, Do you know Billy Connolly? Yes. If it's an, isn't he, he's got that song, like, if it wasn't for your wellies, where would you be? Okay, I don't know that song. Yeah, he's talking about, uh, so for those of you guys listening, they are gumboots that we would call them, right? Yeah. Or in American English, uh, rain boots. 
rain boots rain so boots. you can walk on rain boots for the rain rain boots true, love it true um yeah i wanted a, an expensive pair of wellies they were made of leather and gore-tex uh, and I had a job to buy them, so I did. It took me 10, <laughs> 10 Saturdays at the local pub to buy those boots. Far out. Um, but yeah, when I graduated, we had a conversation and he said, look, I really see the potential here as well. I think you should go for it for two years. You know, in two years' time, you'll be just about to turn 23. Um, you've not lost that much of your life trying something if it doesn't work. And he says, and I think you'll know quite soon whether it's going to work or not. So... I did shun the grad scheme and went straight into working for myself, lived with my parents for three months and then managed to move out on my own. Uh, That was that time I lived on my own. That was horrendous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Important part of my life. And by the end of the first year, I hit 100,000 subscribers, which was a huge milestone for me. I remember having my little plaque sent. It was one of the old style ones. Yeah, <laughs> I know you got the button. I got this like I thought it was going to be the button button, but it's like an indented mirror. I was like, ah, shattered. It changed it, yeah, but I still think those are really smart. And when you hit a million, at least they'll match. Oh my God, yeah, I'll be like fifty. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was it, really, and then it just started skyrocketing. Once I started understanding the algorithm and how things work, I suddenly realised, ah, so this is what I have to do. Um, yeah, and I've been through many different experimental phases. I've made lots of mistakes. I've had lots of successes. It's been a really interesting journey. I've loved it. Are you, are you comfortable talking about what those were? Like what um, yeah. sort of mistakes versus successes that you've had with the channel? Oh, 100%. Um, I obviously have got a marketing brain here and I get very, very excited by numbers and noticing trends and statistics basically and I got so absorbed by the algorithm and let that dominate what I was doing rather than what was best for my students as well it's always going to be a balancing act um I always split it into three um so I try to make one this is roughly but one third what the algorithm wants which will keep my channel growing and reaching a new audience one third what I know my current students really want to watch so pleasing them and also one third what I want to make as well because if you forget yes. to nourish that part of it, of it then you'll lose the passion and people can see that they can see when you have to make a video rather mm-hmm. than when you want to make a video um I started I made some mistakes where I was posting way too frequently I set myself a schedule of three videos a week I see every youtuber do this and I am um, currently <laughs> oh dear <laughs> I always say take what you think the amount you think you can create in a week yeah. and take one away from that, which is obviously yeah. a shame if you think you can do one. <laughs> um, but it's, it's so easy to burn out. I've burnt out a couple of times. And also my audience, work out what your audience responds well to. Yeah. And mine get bored of me if I post too frequently. And I, I'm okay with that. And I will post once a week and that seems to be the optimum. And then also I was very naive to the world of linguistics to native speakerism, to to lots of these hot topics at the moment that are big issues. People are really upset about them, and I had completely, I don't, I wouldn't even want to say ignored it. I I was really struggling with trolls and um, and hate comments, so I didn't pay that much attention to my comments, and I missed a lot of early warning signs. 
and then it just it all came at once and I learned a really hard important lesson um yeah before that though before talking about that if you want to talk about it how do you manage with trolls on that scale because I was chatting my parents my parents were over for dinner tonight and I was telling them um, I'm going to chat with um, Lucy with English no I'm, I'm kidding English with Lucy and you know she's she's got a massive audience and everything and I my dad's like it must be so weird where you are just a normal person and like say Johnny Depp or something you end up all of a sudden looking back and being like wow okay no longer normal you know I'm in this position now where millions of people see me and I get positive comments, I get negative comments, I get all kinds of feedback that may not be real or, you know, or fair. And it seems like it becomes a different world that you have to navigate. Did you adapt to that quickly? Is that an ongoing process? Is it a nightmare? Is it a dream? What's it like? Um, It's very strange. I don't think humans are designed to deal with, you know, this huge amount of compliments every day. I think there's a reason why influencers seem to absolutely <laughs> love themselves sometimes. And I think, you know, if you throw a million comments a day of people telling you that you're amazing, you're clever, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. I, I do think some people take that to heart. Um, I've always been quite skeptical of that because I know what I look like when I am at my worst. I know that I have a lot of cuts in my videos. So I, I think I have a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes. Um, but w- the hate comments really affected me at first. I, I think I remember my first one that really made me really sad. And that was someone um, saying that they thought I, I had put on weight or something. And I hadn't. Um, I had tried out a new camera angle. I'd gone to the YouTube space in London. And they had told me that if I put my camera below me so that I'm looking down at it, it will make me seem more powerful. And I look very powerful, <laughs> but I also had a double chin. <laughs> Yeah. And I got all these comments, yeah, saying that I um I looked um like I'd put on weight, and you know, I I remember really finding that awful and thinking, God, I don't know why this is affecting me so much. And I remember that at that point thinking, Wow, I have got to take a step back from all of these comments, including the the really positive ones and the really negative ones, and just try and read between the lines for the actual feedback. Yeah. Um. Because otherwise, you get a really distorted view of yourself. You see the best, these overinflated compliments and these completely over-the-top negative comments as well. And um, it's enough to drive anyone. Bit, bit. Well, I kind of, I mean, you know, I watched The Social Dilemma recently and they were talking about how, you haven't watched it yet? They were talking about how especially young girls between the ages of, I think, 13 and 16 have higher rates of depression, higher rates of self-harm, higher rates of suicide because of social media use and getting that constant feedback, looking for the constant feedback and not being able to escape it. And so I can't imagine, you know, it's almost like as soon as you're on social media, whether you're someone like you at your size or the average person, all of a sudden at any time someone can just send you, you look great, you look like shit, you know, like it can go any way and you can't, unless you actively turn it off and try and get away from it, if once you have the sort of understanding and maturity to be like, this is not good for me, if you don't, yeah. it can really affect you, right? So, what, and that's the hard thing I too, I think we have a negative bias where we, we hear, and I was, I was saying this to someone recently, every time I get a bad comment, it'll be like one in a hundred, one in a thousand, but I don't remember the good ones. I remember the horrible ones. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and so it is hard to be like, 
don't think of it like it's not fair. Weigh them up. Look, there are a thousand over there that are good and there's the one negative one. It's like it should be fair that they have more weight than, yeah. than the single negative one, but they don't at times and no, you have to remind yourself, true. right? It's true. Um, and it's also the, it's, it's the, so for, for example, now comments on my parents, negative ones, I've seen them all. And also I know my face and kind of upper body better than anyone else. <laughs> I, <laughs> my videos that I spend a long time, whether I like it or not, seeing every single pore. And, um, but it's the well thought out, uh, personal Mm. about my character the ones that really annoy me are when people presume that I'm a horrible person and um and that really stings uh, especially when someone's obviously put a lot of time and thought into it and it also really stings when you think sometimes there's a bit of truth in in that comment as well like you've done something badly or yeah genuine genuine criticism with a really hateful undertone is the worst Criticism is absolutely fine, but it's hateful, honest criticism. That is the hardest to take. It really is. Um, well, but I think that... You can't brush it off as just silliness because some of it is true. Yeah, it is It is tough. And it's, yeah, it, the internet has completely changed the game, I think, because you can't turn it off unless you, you stop reading all the comments and you stop talking to any of the people who mention you. And then, uh, and then that back blew up in my face as well because I missed some really important discussions that were going on. Yeah, it's, um, I don't, I don't know of many people that are doing it perfectly. We're all winging it because, uh, this is a, a new career path and, um, and it's just not normal to have so many people. So I also think I overshared a bit of my personal life when I started and now it's, I have a personal channel as well where I do vlogs and even that, even with that, I'm constantly juggling what should I share? Because if this goes wrong and in, in five months, I don't want to talk about this anymore. This is already out there. <sighs> but do you know what? It's such a privilege and I enjoy the, the majority of it. But don't get me wrong. There is a lot of admin. I always see young people say, I want to be a YouTuber. And I say, do you like admin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You can be the filter. You can be the one at the front of the, the battle, <laughs> taking all of the yeah. hatred that's aimed at me. And you can just... Kung Fu, it deflected out of the way. <laughs> Far out. So can we talk about what happened most recently? Is that okay? Yeah. Because I think, yeah, I think what happened and the way in which you handled it was just a phenomenal, a phenomenal story. And it's led to, yeah. it's led to you reaching out and being, you know, showing everyone what an awesome person that you are. So that's why I was, I was keen I'm to see that think about that. it. I'm glad you think that because I know there are a lot of people that still don't believe that that was a genuine response, but it was. So what happened was I was called out in a video um, for a, a video I made, but it wasn't, I think that was the, um, the final straw, basically. I had just made a couple of videos where I was thinking about the algorithm and not the impact of my words. Um, and I was talking about speaking professionally, um, implying that, people who speak a certain way aren't professional, which is not what I wanted to say, but I can see how somebody could take it that way. So I, um, I apologized for that very directly because I just felt that I owed it to my audience 100%. Um, and the people who criticized me, I've spoken with them. I get on very well with them. I, I think they're lovely people that were very rightly angry. And I don't agree with the way they went about things 
hundred percent, but we've spoken about that. And, um, and I feel like it was, even though it was possibly, <laughs> it definitely was one of the worst moments of my life, uh, this month in which it all happened. Cause I, I did feel for a while that just every teacher hated me basically. <laughs> and, um, I had gone well, and that, that was the sort of interesting thing because I don't think I ever saw when I was, when this story was happening where people were showing, you know, this outrage of, of Lucy. I think the issue was, yeah, we, no one really had an idea of who you were, right, as an individual. They didn't have a sort of friendship with you to be able to say, no, she's not like that at all. And I didn't see no, your audience. None of your audience were ever kind of like, you know, how dare you, you horrible human being. It was the teachers that were sort of the ones that were upset, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was very strange. I had, I always had a kind of a group of teacher friends and we all started at the same time and we all moved along together. Um, but then I had become quite, I definitely put a wall up. I was receiving a lot of messages each day that were from other people just wanting to collab but it came across to me, and I'm not sure if I was right to think of this. I think for some cases, yes, other cases, no. I just thought, ah, well, they just want to use me. They don't actually like me and want to know me. They just want to, you know, promote their own things through the channel, that, through the audience that I've built. So I became very much, I had someone else handling my email, and I just said, collaboration requests can, can go in this folder. Um, and, you know, but I, I pretty much said, if I want to do a collaboration, I will reach out. Um, and, and that was definitely the wrong thing because I've missed out on so many potential friendships and connections. Like with you, for example, we didn't speak until after that happened. And, um, and, and so I, I, I but do. But to pause you there, I this, think I think that's this why vision of what they thought I might like. Sorry, it broke up. Uh, it's coming back. There we go. Yeah, I was going to say, um, but that's Sorry, why these. No, you're okay. That's why these sort of things are, though, a blessing in disguise at times because I think it's kind of like, um, mm-hmm. have, you, have you read the book Anti-Fragility where they talk about um, fragility, resilience, and then anti-fragility where so if you're resilient, it's kind of like you can just persist in the face of negativity or of, of, of um, you know, discomfort or whatever, whereas anti-fragility is where you become stronger as a result of adversity. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is one of those sorts of situations where, you know, you went through a shit situation, people assume the worst, and then you apologized and have ended up actually showing the world, you know, that the real you and ending up in a much better and, and better position, right, as well, where everyone's learnt, everyone's, you know, better off for it. Yeah, I, um, I do think that this has been a positive experience. I'm, I'm glad... Um, I'm just, I'm just glad it happened. I didn't, I didn't obviously enjoy those months. Like I, I really felt low, <laughs> um, but yeah, I've met so many awesome people, the people who reached out behind the scenes, um, the people who criticized me, we've had some really amazing conversations and I just feel that thank God this happened, you know, sooner rather than later, because I was on a path to really spreading some, some th- stereotypes and misinformation I really I'm so glad that I didn't go down that that route I'm glad I, I realized before um before I started making a really negative impact yeah so it was, it was a I don't like the word humbling but it was a very humbling experience and made me think oh my word you know people are watching 
I really do have to be careful and I have to accept this position of responsibility that I, ne- I never thought I had. Um, That's what I was keen to sort of chat to you about as well, being, you know, at what point do you realise I have a responsibility? I can't just speak my mind, you know, as if it doesn't matter what I say or that it will not impact anyone or anything like that because it seems like one of those things where as soon as you start getting an audience, you have to start worrying about that. Is it fair? Is it not fair that it's now you have to actually, you know, be aware that you are a mouthpiece for ideas and everything? But how did you sort of deal with that? I found it um, quite hard because I've never been somebody who's, I've always hated conflict, like many people do. Uh, But I've never been someone who's been good at arguing or debating or anything like that. I have my opinions but they I think I take a little bit longer than the average person to develop a, an opinion and to really feel strongly about it it's not I a bad thing today that's a good thing yeah <laughs> I um, I always thought of it as a flaw though because I couldn't just snap back and say actually you're wrong because this is how I feel I for me it's I have to go home I have to really think it through probably write it out um my mother brought me up to be someone that would never hurt anyone's feelings um which initially in my life I think was such a positive thing she never expected me to have a large audience so at school (laughs) I never I you know made an effort to never hurt anyone's feelings but you just you can't please everyone (laughs) and I I realized that quite quite late and that it's okay to have some people not agree with you but I didn't do that to scale I guess I I I was hoping that everyone would just like me (laughs) but that's just not going to happen is it well it's a hard point to get to right I think we're all like that especially when you're out in the open and you're showing yourself to the world you kind of you hate the idea that anyone's going to see it and reject it because you pour your heart and your soul into it but you have to realize after especially getting to any kind of size on YouTube that no matter what you do you're going to get people you know if I if I did a, a video about 10 most beautiful animals in Australia someone would be like these are the 10 ugliest animals in Australia you know or whatever it would just be it's always there's always someone who's like you're 100% not only are you wrong you're 100% wrong you know so but that's that's part of the fun of life isn't it that everyone likes different things otherwise we'd all want to live in the same house with the same sofa and have the same husband and we're, we're just not not like that some people don't want husbands some people don't want sofas (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why i use those examples but it's all right as long as you've got a husband and a sofa you've made it (laughs) (laughs) long time i didn't have a husband or a sofa i still don't have a husband because covid i don't have one i've got two sofas though so (laughs) 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 so what's the what's the kind of plan now um What's the plan for English with Lucy? Is it just infinite growth? You know, are you going to become the next <laughs> Apple or is it, what is the, it, it must be hard when you get to uh, the stage that you're at to then be like, well, you know, we, we need to keep growing and everything like that. Or do you get sort of comfortable and you're like, actually, we don't really need to stress too much now. We kind of, it's smooth sailing. It's, it's such a funny one because I've been um, saying to myself, um, right, this is it. I've, I've peaked now this is it. So I've got to accept that I've enjoyed my period of growth. And now, you know, it's going to either plateau or reduce or maybe YouTube will shut down or something like that. Um, And it it hasn't come yet. But I do think I'm ready for that to happen. Um, Because I I also just learned over the years, it's not 100% down to me. It's what YouTube wants. And YouTube was really favoring 
my channel for a long time and it, it might change. Sometimes algorithm shifts are gradual, sometimes algorithm sh shifts are sudden and suddenly impact, negatively impact um, creators. I know it's not just about YouTube. At the moment, I'm trying to build my, my platform off YouTube. Please, um, please um, spruik the course. Please feel, men feel free to mention the course that you've just launched, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. What a wonderful intro to that. That wasn't planned. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have actually released my first ever course, which is a British English pronunciation course where I teach modern received pronunciation. And I have created a coupon code for your viewers and listeners, if they would like to use it, it's for 15% off and it is Oz15, so AUS15. Um, basically, I created a website called epiphanylanguagestudios.com and that is a language platform and the first course is live there. We go through every element of British English pronunciation, uh, all of the sounds, connected speech, intonation, rhythm and stress, You'll learn to read phonetic transcriptions. I'm really, really proud of it. It took two years to develop. I had a couple of linguists on board as well. Very, very exciting. And it's done really well so far. And we've got some fantastic feedback from the students. Yes. It's nice to I be in the, in the course gang like you. Oh, well, I was saying that to you when you told me, you know, I'm doing this course and we're launching it next week. And I was like, what? You've been at this for ages. You only just started doing this. But uh, you know, we've got to get on at some point, right? So. I was really focused on YouTube and... Um, well, and when things are working well, why would you change it up, right? Yeah, I'm, ju I'm just excited to add another string to my, to my bow now. Definitely. Um, yeah. And so what's the, what's, the, what's the kind of feedback that you've been getting so far on the course and, and who are the kind of people that you've um, seen signing up? You know, do you have any idea of the average person? Yes, I've spoken to quite a few of them. A lot are from the UK and they're yep. people who have moved here and, and just they want to address certain sounds that they struggle with, that they would like to pronounce in a certain way, but they can't. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people, people from the UK, um, a couple from the US and also it seems a lot from Italy as well. But, yes, I'm, I'm, very, I'm going to set up some sessions to talk with the people that have completed it because it, it's coming up to the time where at the first completions will, will start happening so i just i can't wait i've just been receiving the feedback as they as they go along man that's that's amazing but it is it is funny there is that controversy right that we've both been facing and that was sort of related to the controversy that you went through of native speakerism and yeah. what it is to speak like a native when when people throw that around and even it's gotten to the point now where it seems like a lot of people are kind of saying, well, what is pronunciation? What are, what's an accent? Who should even try to have an accent? And you're kind of like, well, you have to base it on something, right? So, Yeah, I, I think I'm teaching the accent that I speak with. And also it, it is the accent that you will find in a lot of the dictionaries. When you see a transcript, written transcription, phonetic transcription, it will, if it's a British English one, it will be in received pronunciation usually. Um, and also in textbooks and English courses in general. So I, I just think it's a really good place to start. Um, but this course is not about accent reduction, which is a term that I, I don't want my students to feel pressured to reduce their accent at all. It's about focusing on the separate sounds and learning how to pronounce those correctly. And also to be able to look in any dictionary, see that transcription and know how to pronounce it without hearing it. Because 
you know, that's a reality for a lot of people. You know, you don't have someone on hand to tell you how to pronounce every word. So you've got to do it yourself. Well, I found with doing my course for Australian pronunciation, I was first asked to do that by my audience. They were like, could you make a course like this? Because the problems that we face are trying to get a job and being discriminated against because we don't sound um, Australian enough. For, whether or not that's okay, That were the, they were the problems that people were facing. And they were saying, you know, even if you can just give us something that we can use as a guide that will help us get closer to that and we can more easily communicate and just get by whether or not we're trying to pretend to be Australians isn't really the the point right it's more about helping people communicate more clearly I think yeah we're giving our students a tool and they can use it but I just want them to know that this is not encouraging you to, to pretend to be a native because I think that would be a huge cause of stress um exactly so I mean I lived in Spain and spoke with my Spanish partner in Spanish for four years. And most Spanish people, when I speak, will know that I'm not a native. And I, I did try. Like, I, I really wanted to fit in. I, I completely relate uh, with people who, who want to, you know, fit in and, and sound like those around. It's just like we said about adapting your accent to the people you're around. Yes. And I did develop quite a southern Spanish accent. Um, and it was a real source of pride for me as well. So it's, it's a hard one. I want to give people the opportunity um, to do that if that's what they want, but I don't want to make people feel that that's what they have to do. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because everyone wants something different and you've also got to think, do you want this because you've been told you should have it or do you want this because you've been through a personal journey and you've discovered that this is what you want? It, and you just don't know. It's down to the person and I think it would be insulting to tell them what they do or don't want. I think I think you you hit the nail on the head, but um yeah man Lucy I've I've kept you for I think about an hour now so I should probably say thank you and and um I loved it. <laughs> oh, it felt like an hour my coffee's cold I didn't even realise I know you've been killing yeah, it so remind people again about the the course and then we can finish up and hopefully do this again sometime soon yes it's epiphanylanguagestudios.com. I imagine there's some show notes or something you can put yeah the link will be below guys you, you can get it below <laughs> <laughs> I get to do that I love it you go below <laughs> yeah and the code is oz15 so aus15 for 15% off the complete pronunciation course brilliant and how can people find out more about you Lucy if they're not already following you where do they need to go need to go to Lucy with English. <laughs> I'll start that. That'll be my channel. I'll start that. I'll start a new one. <laughs> um, English with Lucy on YouTube. You can, you can see my, my, my Instagram is my personal life. So that's just at Lucy on Instagram. I have no idea how I was lucky enough to get that name. <laughs> um, and also I do have a channel that people might find interesting if they're looking for subtitled listening practice that is my personal channel which is just lucy bella and that follows uh, my life on an english farm which is i know some people quite like so yeah be nice yeah definitely get into it well, lucy thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure and I, I hope we can do this again yeah definitely i'd love to